0: you can do it healthy I'm pro safe dating like park dating and stuff right now it's a real thing you can do another real thing you can do is fully delete all your profiles forever Uh, which (laughs) hypothetically speaking is a very empowering feeling
1: Welcome, fellow sleuths, to Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our best friends who can beat people up and go head-to-head to to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schubert, and I am notoriously bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I am safely behind the judges' table, letting others duke it out instead. Our contestants this week are Kevin T. Porter from Good Christian Fun and Alyssa Esteban from Breakfast in Beauclair. Our mysteries today are from Encyclopedia Brown. And now let's turn it over to our guests, Kevin and Alyssa. How's it going?
0: Hey. Hey. Hi. Everything's great all the time. It's so wonderful. <laughs> we love it. And we're going to continue with these good vibes throughout the whole episode.
2: We are making do. That is- okay, <laughs>
0: Alyssa has a slightly different energy.
1: <laughs> I'm very excited for this episode because I like to sometimes thematically bring my guests in. And what I've done for this episode is Kevin is the host of Good Christian Fun. And Alyssa and I went to Catholic school together hey. for eight years. So that's the, uh, the link. Factor in this one.
0: <laughs> we can just turn this into an episode of Good Christian Fun if y'all, <laughs> you know, if y'all want. Let's start with your religious backgrounds. Let's go through it. What's your religious trauma? How do we unpack it? Who is God to you today?
2: I could tell you how my dad used to be in a Christian order and then left, and then had me, and then that was all good fun. <laughs>
0: wow. See, there's always a lot here, and then the mystery we solve is: is God dead? How did Jesus make the loaves and fishes multiply? <laughs> exactly. And it's Jesus or Judas every time.
1: So before we get into the actual mysteries, we are playing for charity. You two have charities that you're playing for. So Alyssa, what charity are you playing for today?
2: Yeah, so I'm going to be playing for the One Love Foundation, which is based in New York. And they host workshops and online resources in order to teach young people about healthy and unhealthy relationships so that they can identify, avoid, and overcome abusive relationships. That's awesome.
0: How about you, Kevin? I'm playing for the charity that is Glitz Gays and Lesbians Living in a Transgender Society. It's a grassroots organization dedicated to supporting the LGBTQIA community. On a global scale, they do this with international outreach, reentry services, post incarceration, and a bunch of other services to ensure health, wellness, and inclusion of transgender people. In our society,
1: This is great. These are both charities I have not heard of yet, so that's very fun. And listeners, if you want to check those out, we'll have links in the descriptions. So here is how the game is going to work. I'll be recapping four quick mysteries from the esteemed children's novel series Encyclopedia Brown. Neither of you have read these before, or at least if you have in your childhood, hopefully you don't remember them. I'll lay out all the clues, I'll ask for your accusations, and each correct guess of culprit, method, motive will earn you points. But... There are also bonus points at stake. If you match my incorrect guess, I will give you a Misery Loves Company bonus point. And if you have a particularly wild guess, you say something that is particularly funny, you make me chuckle for whatever reason, you throw out a ridiculous pun, I'll award bonus points because nothing matters and everything is pretend. And this makes me happy. So uh, if
0: something makes me smile, bonus points are gonna be abound because (laughs) we need it. Now, this (laughs) is such like a social nightmare in the sense of like, It's almost like being on a date and feeling like you are being graded by the other person. And in this show, you literally are. You are getting a play-by-play of how you are doing. Are you funny or not? And there are points. The points do matter. And
2: we're very, very rusty after not being in the dating world since February. So this is going to go excellently.
0: Honey, speak for yourself. I got three dates every week since pandemic started. Just kidding.
1: Do either of you have any sort of history or experience with mystery novels? Did you read them as a kid? Did you watch Scooby-Doo? Anything?
0: I watched Scooby-Doo growing up, but that is the extent of it. We had a bunch of Hardy Boys novels. Mm -hmm. Maybe novels is too highfalutin a word for what these books are chunky books and i think i remember having some Bernstein bears mystery novels not the picture books but they had like little extended universe okay now sister bear is gonna solve a freaking murder it wasn't a murder it was usually (laughs) like who stole the school supplies or something like that i'm
1: gonna have to do a deep dive this sounds enticing i wonder if bernstein and these are spelled differently because that still is shaking me to my core that whole spelling issue thing (laughs)
2: I devoured all of the Hardy Boys books. I just couldn't get into the Nancy Drew ones. I tried. But the local wholesale store always had stacks of Hardy Boys books in like five book packages. So I would just go through and look for those every single week. And me and my dad have like a ton of them. We also had um, The Adventures of Tintin. Me, my brother, and my sister got those books one year. So we had, I think, nine of them that, again, I just like absolutely devoured. And I'm excited to tell you that I've retained nothing.
0: <laughs> so
2: we're just going to target like sheer mediocrity and like aim for a bonus point, And that's going to be the goal of today. <laughs> hey,
0: aim for mediocrity. Make do.
1: <laughs> so let's get into our first mystery of this episode, which is the case of the pantry door.
0: Ooh, really? <laughs>
1: Very. Oh, yeah. High stakes here at Encyclopedia Brown World. I couldn't imagine a more... <laughs> Like neutral object. <laughs> <laughs> so Hilda Deerdrek, who is also known in the town as Dead Eye Deerdrek, she walks into the Brown Detective Agency. The narrator describes her as quote, Idaville's only girl fly hunter. She hunts flies for sport. She doesn't use sprays. She doesn't use fly swatters on principle. She hunts flies with rubber bands.
2: We should have had her at the debate this year.
1: (laughs) Hey, she would have had a freaking field day. (laughs) Would have saved us from a lot of terrible tweets. Uh huh. So Hilda shows up and she invites Encyclopedia Brown and Sally, his junior partner, to a birthday party for her pet frog named Archie. She is going to be serving Archie flies and bacon bits instead of cake because he's a frog. And she explains that Sally and Encyclopedia Brown are the guests of honor at this party because one, Encyclopedia Brown found the frog in Hilda's birdhouse in the first place. And two, Sally's the one that came up with the name Archie. So they are important guests at the birthday party. They head on over to Hilda's house, and on their way there, they pass two boys from the local gang of hooligans in town, the Tigers. They're throwing a football back and forth. Now, if you've read Encyclopedia Brown books, the Tigers are very much the villains in these series, so them just being anywhere is suspicious. So they get into her backyard, and we learn that Archie, the frog, still lives in the birdhouse, and they have this really cute drawing in the book. I just like the thought of a frog that lives in a birdhouse just living its best life. Yeah, you don't belong there. How does he get up there? So they explain that he was found in there and now he's too big to get out. The theory is that Somehow, as a tadpole, he got into the birdhouse and then grew into a frog. And then this is where I live now. (laughs) So, Hilda loves having Archie as a pet because now it gives her fly shooting hobby a purpose. She was getting bored with it because she was so good at shooting down flies that she had to keep making it harder for herself. Like, she went from regular rubber bands to thinner rubber bands. And then she started using rubber bands that were cut in half. So, she was. (laughs) (laughs) She started using teeny tiny bullets. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Bonus point for the thought of a 10 year old girl shooting flies with a gun. But yeah, she started using like half of rubber bands and just flicking them at the flies. So now she went from trying to continually make her hobby a fun challenge for her to now killing flies has a purpose in that
0: she gets to feed her pet. OK, yeah, there's a way to justify her crimes and it does <laughs> bring up a lot of ethical questions of the things we do that we may know to be wrong. Are they worth it if it's for a greater good? And we can all go around Robin now and talk about some regrettable horrible things we've done that probably served a greater good mike you want to kick us off
1: <laughs> i feel like if she did this with mosquitoes it would have been universally beloved as a service across town especially because these books take place in fictional florida
0: oh whoa i didn't know we were in a swing state for this book. <laughs> Wow, this changes the the landscape. The case of the Hanging Chad
1: is our next mystery. (laughs) (laughs) So Hilda, Encyclopedia Brown, and Sally head inside to prepare for Archie's feast. And when they're inside, they see a 14-year-old girl named Lois eating grapes. She is Hilda's cousin. She's staying with Hilda's family for the week. And Hilda says she's going to go up into the attic to try to hunt some flies. She tells Encyclopedia Brown and Sally to get some sugar out of the pantry and then fill four saucers, which Hilda got down from a kitchen cabinet, fill them up with sugar and those will lure flies in. When I'm done destroying flies in the attic, I'll start destroying them in the kitchen because I am Hilda, Lord of the Flies. (laughs) That's what it sounds like.
2: I feel like I'm really skeptical of small children who love killing small things.
1: Yeah, you know, we can't throw out Hilda as a potential suspect. She's shown to be vicious, (laughs) though we don't know what the crime is
0: yet. (laughs) It's a slippery slope, yes. I don't know what the crime is yet, but we got a lot of pieces on the board. I can't wait to see how they fall. (laughs)
1: So before she goes upstairs, she warns Encyclopedia Brown and Sally that the pantry door might give them a bit of trouble. So she goes upstairs. They are trying to open the pantry door, and Encyclopedia Brown just can't get it to budge. It just keeps making this really loud racket noise. And Lois, the grape eater, just gets very upset. She goes, oh my gosh, you are so annoying. And then she storms out of the kitchen and goes upstairs to the bedroom where she's staying.
2: She's annoyed because they can't get it open?
1: Yeah, it's making a really loud banging noise because they keep trying to jam and pull the pantry door open, and it just keeps making this loud banging. And she wants to eat her grapes... In silence, I guess the
0: true way to enjoy them? What Mike's leaving out is that Hilda's parents, this is in, this is I'm reading the Wikipedia Brown right now, <laughs> but Hilda's parents did divorce and it was over a cabinet door sound that started the fight. And so for her, it's a very triggering incident to re-experience and it's bringing back all those memories.
1: Mm-hmm. Bonus point for the very uh, subtle slip-in of calling it Wikipedia Brown. That's Thank you. Good. Okay. <laughs> and the grading
0: begins. The date is going, oh, okay for me.
1: (laughs) So Encyclopedia Brown and Sally get inside the pantry and what happens? But the pantry door closes and locks behind them. So we have gone from mundane mystery title to real stakes. So they try to get out. It's locked. They hear footsteps running towards the front of the house. Then they hear the front door slam shut. So Encyclopedia Brown starts pounding on the door, and then from upstairs, they hear Lois scream, all right, I hear you, calm down, hold your horses, I'm coming. That's the direct quote from the book. Okay. (laughs) So Lois comes down, she gets them out, and then Hilda comes downstairs and asks, what happened? So Encyclopedia Brown and Sally explain that they got locked in the pantry, and while they are describing this, Hilda notices that one of the cabinets in the kitchen is open, and the jar of cash that her mother keeps there, just for cash to have around, has been stolen. Hmm.
2: Oh shit.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> So Hilda says she for sure knows that it was there and it was full of cash. She just saw it when she was getting the saucers down to put the sugar in. So she knows for sure someone has stolen it. Now they ask Lois if she saw anything. Does she have some sort of alibi? She says, quote, just after I went up to my room, I heard the front door slam. I looked out the window and saw a boy running towards the street. And Sally then points out, Oh, there were those two tigers that we saw throwing around the football. It could have been them. But Encyclopedia Brown says, we don't have to worry about who it could be. I know who it is definitively. So I turn to the two of you. Who is behind this? And how does Encyclopedia Brown know?
0: It's not Encyclopedia Brown. (laughs) I know that for sure. It's never Encyclopedia Brown.
1: It is never Sally.
0: (laughs) All right. So- our list of suspects, then, is Hilda, Lois, or one of the two QAnon boys outside? Mm-hmm. Or the frog. The frog. <laughs> is the frog strapped for cash? <laughs> Was he mad that his birthday party wasn't more extravagant? I only get flies. I want to buy something better. <laughs> A 10-year-old is
2: putting it on. I think the budget is very, very low.
0: They're called loan sharks, not loan frogs. Does he owe someone money?
2: Maybe he's looking for an upgrade on his birdhouse.
0: Ooh, he wants to get that new extension. Yeah, I mean, we can all relate to wanting to upgrade our houses right now and our living spaces. You said whose money it was.
1: It is Hilda's mother's
0: money. Okay. It feels like maybe Hilda did it then. Ooh. You get all these people here for a party. You create chaos and confusion. Ah. Lois is a cousin. You tell her, hey, lock them in the pantry and no one will be the wiser. (laughs) And like, let's create a diversion. And kind of the call is coming from inside the house. I'm just trying to think of... I was to steal a large sum of money, which I've never done <laughs> from a parent. How would I do it? And I feel like I would maybe try to create a diversionary tactic. Okay. All right. I like it. How
1: about you, Alyssa?
2: I'm trying to think of something that isn't nothing. So working on that. <laughs> something that <laughs> and... isn't nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. My gut says it's the cousin. I know she said she left, but she left, wait, before or after they got like locked to the pantry?
1: So yeah, she leaves the kitchen they go inside the pantry, the door closes behind them, and then they try to get out, they bang on the door, and from upstairs, we hear her yelling, all right, I'm coming down, don't worry about it, hold your horses, etc."
2: But how would she know what they were doing if she didn't put them in there?
0: Uh oh. I might be coming around to Alyssa's side, it might be Lois.
2: <laughs> I feel like it could be, we don't know the layout of the house. No. Or the extensions that the frog put on it. So I feel like she could have like fake left, came back, locked them in there to get some peace and quiet and then gone. Cause I feel like how would she know what the banging was that it was for them to actually get out of the pantry rather than someone knocking on the front door or something else entirely. I feel like that's suspect, but I could be wrong.
1: Well, don't worry. You're right. That's exactly it. It was Lois. And the reason Encyclopedia Brown knew she was lying is because while they are trying to get into the pantry, it's banging on the door. She leaves and goes upstairs. But then when she calls down to them, she says, don't worry, I'll come get you. How would she know that they were trapped inside the pantry trying to get out if she left the kitchen and she kept hearing banging from upstairs and she wasn't the one who closed it? She would have just thought that they were still struggling to get into the pantry. But because she. New.
0: So it's the I'll come get you that's the
1: tell. Yep. That's the tell is that because she said I'll come get you, she gave away to Encyclopedia Brown that she knew they were in danger. So yeah, very astute, Alyssa.
0: Lois, you sloppy little pig. You were <laughs> not cautious in your choice of words. How dare you! <laughs>
1: At the end of this first mystery, Alyssa has a three to two lead as we get into our second case the case of the midnight visitor.
0: <laughs> okay, now this could go anywhere. <laughs> So
1: Encyclopedia Brown's father, Chief Brown, is the chief of police. And at dinner, he talks about cases that he can't solve with his wonder kid child. This is a normal theme in the books. Bad boundaries. Bad boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Really not what you want to do. Don't want to bring your work home with you, especially if you are the chief of police. Absolutely not. No. So Chief Brown says that someone in town, C.T. Butler, has been kidnapped. CT Butler is a millionaire who has made his fortune from owning a string of pizza parlors along the Florida coast. Okay, this is how he's made his money, and he's got a big old beach house in Idaville, Florida. So, Mrs. Butler, CT Butler's wife, got a phone call at noon today from kidnappers that were holding her husband for ransom for five hundred thousand dollars. Now, this book was written in 1977, so I went to my favorite website, the United States Bureau of Labor and Statistics, to look at the inflation rate. And in today's money, $500,000 in 1977 is $2,147,524.75. Quite the ransom. Not worth it. I'd
0: I'd (laughs) let him go. Sorry, Mrs. Butler.
2: It's double Dr. Evil's initial ask, so we're still okay
0: with it. We're still okay with it. And Alyssa, thank you for putting it in terms that the listener will understand.
1: (laughs) So the kidnappers say that they're going to call tomorrow with instructions about what to do with the money, where to put it, and how to get Mr. Butler back. So Mrs. Butler told Chief Brown what happened. So last night, Mr. and Mrs. Butler were in bed watching a movie on the TV in their bedroom. Just after midnight, the doorbell rang. Mr. Butler went downstairs to go see who it was, and Mrs. Butler turned off the TV so she could hear what was going on and make sure everything was okay. She couldn't make out exactly what the conversation was about, but she could tell that it was a man at the door and it seemed like a normal, non-distressing conversation. Okay. She heard the front door close, and the two of them walk to Mr. Butler's den, just another room in the first floor of the house. And she figured they were doing some sort of business or work, so she just went to sleep.
0: Was it a pizza man? Was it a guy just delivering (laughs) some of
1: his pizza? (laughs) Just got to get that late night fix. Yeah. (laughs) So she went to bed, but she did wake up in the middle of the night. She heard the front door closing, and then she went back to sleep after that. She thought it was just the person leaving. She went back to sleep. She woke up the next morning and Mr. Butler was gone and the front door was unlocked. But she thought nothing of it. She just thought, oh, maybe Mr. Butler went to work and forgot to lock the door on his way out. He's so forgetful. He does this all the time until she gets a call from kidnappers at noon. That's when she realized, oh, no, my husband's been kidnapped. Okay. Uh, So Mrs. Butler says to Chief Brown that she knows the man that was at the door was not a stranger because Mr. Butler would never let in a stranger into the house at midnight. That's just not something he would do. So Chief Brown figures from the evidence that they have that what happened is this kidnapper took C.T. Butler into the den, had him open the window and then forced C.T. Butler to leave the house through the window into the backyard where other kidnappers took him away and drove him off in a car. And then that original kidnapping visiting man left through the front door so that if anyone saw him enter the house, he would then be seen leaving the house normally as to not raise any suspicions.
0: Quite a hypothesis, Chief Brown. Like, that's just all based on instinct and intuition. He's just got a full 360 (laughs) degree view of the house. And what? I mean, okay, sure. Go
1: off. I was very surprised that there was no evidence. Chief Brown was like, I got it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He's just like, no, I don't know. So the only clue that
1: they have is that there was a calendar on Mr. Butler's desk in the den that at night when they were going up to bed, Mrs. Butler knew it was blank. But now on top of it were the numbers written 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. And it's one of those big, you can see multiple months at the same time calendars. Mm -hmm. So Mrs. Butler confirms nothing else about the desk is different. This is the only thing that has changed. And she knows that this writing had to have happened last night from Mr. Butler. It's in his handwriting. So Encyclopedia Brown is talking to Chief Brown, trying to figure out what they can make of all of this. And he asks, does Mr. Butler have any enemies? And Chief Brown says, oh, wealthy people always have tons of enemies in business. (laughs) He says that it's well known that C.T. Butler has contentious business relationships with the following people. Arthur Jason, John McNear, and Matt Short. So these are the three suspects that they think if someone was to be behind a kidnapping of C.T. Butler for business purposes, it would be Arthur Jason, John McNear, or Matt Short. And Encyclopedia Brown, after Chief Brown runs through this list of names, says he knows who it is. He says that the numbers on the calendar give away the name of the kidnapper. So I turn to the two of you. How did Encyclopedia Brown put it together? And what does this code represent?
0: At this point, we don't know who these associates are, who these men are. Are they pizza men? No. <laughs> for the purposes of making it not
1: impossible for you, it is one of these three dudes.
0: Okay. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. One of these men, someone he knows, a man he was talking to, McNear, Short, Arthur, John, Matt, Jason. Arthur, Jason, John McNear. Matt Short. Whew! Okay. And we don't know anything about these men other than they have a bad relationship with Mr. Butler.
2: Do we know their lines of business?
1: What we learn at the end, because the solution usually gives a little flavor text, is that the person that's guilty trusted Mr. Butler for some business advice and things went sour, and he blames Mr. Butler for the failings of his business. <laughs> so it is irrelevant what business they do. <laughs>
0: oh, this is like Syndrome in the Incredibles. I love it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I mean, no, you got to take responsibility for your own actions. You got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's what here. are me, Mike, and Alyssa are here to talk about today <laughs> is our own personal responsibility. Don't blame the man on your ills like one of these gentlemen did. Hmm, 7, I just can't get a route. 7, 8, 10, does it add up to any-
1: It adds up to 45 if that helps.
0: Not in, not in this administration, <laughs> no.
1: <laughs>
0: Bonus point. Hey, if you ask me, 45 doesn't add up to much. Okay, uh, f- Matt Short, John McNeer, Arthur Jason Alyssa uh conjecture please I'm I feel stumped here
2: (laughs) I'm ready to just throw a mental dart at the wall and just see what sticks let's go with Matt because that's my dad's name and my boss
0: all right all right but what's your process of elimination what's your deductive reasoning here
2: (laughs) I just feel the spirit flowing through me oh my gosh and we're just gonna (laughs) roll with that Mike this is a Christian
0: (laughs) podcast now I'm sorry we've colonized you converted (laughs) gracious holy 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 and our only clue really is 7891011 is
1: 7891011 on the calendar the calendar does factor but it's 7891011 on a calendar oh oh the reason that you know the calendar factors is because there was a blank pad of mm-hmm. paper next to the calendar and he didn't write on that he wrote on the calendar intentionally not on just a blank piece of paper which he could have written on okay
2: oh, i got it it is the Jason guy because July, August, September, October, November, makes Jason.
1: That is correct. That's what it is. Oh my gosh. (laughs) 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, July, August, September, October, November. J-A-S-O-N, which if you remember, there was a either a tiktok or a vine where someone has jason derulo a calendar with all of it yeah and it's the january february march april may june
0: jason derulo and that's how i knew it (laughs) gracious i should have been thinking like that i feel so ashamed (laughs) we
1: always need to be thinking about jason derulo at all times
0: that was your real downfall yeah i let him slip for just a moment and i'm gonna regret it forever.
1: I feel very hot now. (laughs) (laughs) That was some great mental deduction. I mean, this is a a story that I always tell when Alyssa and I are in the same room, but I got to get it on the podcast documented, is that in kindergarten, Alyssa and I were the only two people who spelled face right of our entire (laughs) kindergarten class. We spelled it F-A-C-E. Everybody else spelled it F-A-S or F-A-S-E, like a bunch of dweebs. So you are dealing with a child genius as your opponent, Kevin, I'm sorry to say. (laughs) No,
0: I'm intimidated. Yes. Wow. Okay. Well... That was the first two rounds. We got two more mysteries, right, Mike? We do, we do. So the next one is the case of the tennis racket. Okay, back to a a more non-threatening object.
1: Today's episode of Meddling Adults is brought to you by Magic Spoon, and Magic Spoon is just such a perfect fit for this show, because on this show we take childlike things, but approach them in an adult manner, and Magic Spoon is doing the same thing, but for cereal. Magic Spoon's cereal is seriously delicious, but also not terrible for you, which is a huge plus. Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 11 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. They have four different flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry, and it genuinely tastes fantastic honestly too good to be true based on how healthy this cereal is. I've recently been eating the blueberry a lot and I really like it. It reminds me of blueberries that you would find in a blueberry muffin, that kind of vibe. But it's in a cereal, it turns the milk slightly blueberry-ish and a light blue at the end. I've really enjoyed it. Kelly is a huge fan of the cocoa variety and we've been thoroughly enjoying eating the cereal for breakfast or for a snack or for a dessert. Magic Spoon is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and it's low carb. And if this is sounding good and you wanna get some of these boxes in your home so that you can get the cereal in your belly, you can go to magicspoon.com meddling and grab a variety pack to try it today. Be sure to use our promo code meddling at checkout to get free shipping. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product that it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, which I really cannot imagine this being the case, but if it is the case, they will refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com meddling and use the code meddling for free shipping. And thanks Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode of the podcast, which helps us raise even more money for charity. So John Stanley, Idaville's best young tennis player, comes into the Brown Detective Agency. He says, I've got good news and bad news. Sally says, give us the good news first, please, in a very 2020 vibe. He says that he just opened a can of tennis balls and they're number eights. And eight is his lucky number. He holds the three number eight tennis balls very proudly. If anyone is unfamiliar with tennis, when you have a tennis ball, it'll have the name of whatever brand makes that Mm -hmm. and then a number on it so that if you are playing and you know which balls are yours, if you're playing and there's a court next to you and balls go over, you know, oh, I have the Penn 2 and you have the Wilson 4, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So he's very excited because he's got this big tennis match coming up and he just opened a can of balls and they have his lucky number eight in them. So he's feeling good. He says he's never lost a match playing with number eight balls before. Now, the bad news is that at two o'clock, he is playing in the semifinals of the Country Club Championships against, and I kid you not, Ike Quilp, who is the younger brother of, I also kid you not, Rowdy Quilp, who is one of Bugs Meanie's Tigers. So this group of ruffians, which you have to, I think you're legally obligated if your name is Rowdy, to be in a, a gang of people that bully others. So John is afraid that the Tigers are going to try to screw with the tennis match that he's playing against Rowdy's little brother. So he's hiring Encyclopedia Brown and Sally to come to the tennis tournament to make sure no one screws with the match. <laughs> so just like a, a super ref? He's basically hiring them to be his bodyguards slash lookout for it, which makes sense because Sally Kimball is, as the book describes, the prettiest girl in the fifth grade and the strongest girl in the fifth grade. She's beaten up Bugs Meanie, the town bully, multiple times. So she's the brawn and Encyclopedia Brown is the brains. So I really can't think of a better defense team to have to make sure your tennis tournament goes okay.
0: Great.
2: What are they paying them?
1: 25 cents. That's the uh, normal rate that Encyclopedia Brown charges, which is not enough. (laughs) Not enough at all. It's like three bucks in today's money. It's not a high enough rate. Encyclopedia Brown is massively underpaid. (laughs) Wow. So they head on over to the country club and when they get there, John takes out his tennis rackets, his towel, and he takes the balls out of the can and he leaves the empty can behind. Doesn't even walk into the country club with it. He says, it's bad luck to take the can along. Last year, the only match I lost was when I brought a can to the court. Now, I, as an incredibly superstitious person, especially when I play sports, especially when I played tennis in high school, I can 100% vibe with this and I love John a whole lot for doing so.
0: Okay, and now we see Mike's personal investment in this mystery in particular (laughs) and maybe the reason he chose it today tennis superstition i love the number eight wait wait are you are you stanley wait what's his first name
1: john stanley he's got two first names which is always suspicious
0: john stanley okay okay if you (laughs) rearrange the letter (laughs) it spells when we go one we go all (laughs) Bonus point.
2: (laughs) Wait, so who are the players we have so far?
1: We have John Stanley, our friend that we want to win, playing against Ike Quilp, younger brother of Rowdy Quilp. So John goes into the Country Club Pro Shop to check in, register for the tournament, etc. Encyclopedia Brown and Sally are going to look around to make sure that the Tigers aren't up to no good. They notice a 13-year-old boy in town who's named Fremont Smith, (laughs) a boy with two last names. He is sitting with Bugs Meanie, which Bugs Meanie is the town bully. He's always trying to mess with Encyclopedia Brown, so this is very suspicious. Fremont then approaches Encyclopedia Brown and Sally, and Encyclopedia Brown asks, are you a tennis fan? What brings you to the tournament? And Fremont says, no, not at all. Quote, I can't tell a racket from a rolling pin, which feels like a problem if you're trying to knead dough using a tennis racket. It wouldn't work very well.
0: Yeah, we're (laughs) not finding out that Fremont doesn't know sports. We're finding out Fremont needs some help.
2: (laughs) They need to invest in home economics <laughs> in the school district a little bit more.
0: They
1: should. So Encyclopedia Brown then asks, well, why are you here if you know nothing about tennis? And he says that Bugs Meany wants Fremont to join the Tigers, his, quote, local service club. And Encyclopedia Brown, Sally, and I reading this all in unison out loud say service club because they're just the town bullies. And Fremont says, no, they do a lot of good deeds. For example, today they're volunteering to help run the tournament. OK. Okay, suspicious. So John Stanley comes running up. He's very worried. He says that someone stole his tennis racket and his number eight tennis balls. He says that losing the balls isn't the end of the world, but he's very upset about losing the racket because, you know, it's a tennis racket. But even more so is that he has two different types of racket and he wanted to play with the specific one that got stolen because they're playing on hard court tennis courts and this is a lighter racket and it's better. We don't have to get into the minutia, but this is actually a correct sports thing, which is very rare in these books is they usually say sports stuff that doesn't make sense. This actually does. Okay. So Encyclopedia Brown thinks that whoever took the racket must, us know a lot about tennis since they knew to take the racket that is specifically designed for the type of court that they're playing on. So they head into the pro shop to try to see if there's anything suspicious there. So before they go in, John is saying that he is just convinced that the Tigers are behind this. They're trying to screw him over so that he won't beat the Tigers little brother, Ike. And Fremont says, no way. You guys are being too mean to the Tigers. I'll go with you to help to prove the Tigers aren't behind this. They go into the pro shop And there's a big basket of tennis balls that they use for tennis lessons. So Encyclopedia Brown says to Fremont, why don't you go look in the basket of balls, see if those brand new number eight Wilkins balls are in there. Encyclopedia Brown then goes to look for John's racket, and he finds it But it's on a rack behind four other rackets that are going to get restrung. So like if you've broken a string or something, it's in a pile of rackets that are going to be restrung in the pro shop.
0: Okay, so they found
1: the racket. It's in the pro shop. Yes. While they find the racket, they hear Fremont from the other side of the pro shop scream. Here they are. And he's holding three Wilkins number eight tennis balls. Two of them are brand new, but one is kind of old looking. So they think that that is not exactly it. So maybe those weren't the actual balls that John had. So they don't really know. The fact that it wasn't three brand new ones is a bit suspect there. Fremont continues to look through the basket. And then Sally turns to Encyclopedia Brown saying, hey, you know, it could be Fremont. He could be behind this, but maybe it's also John. Maybe John's just trying to come up with some sort of excuse so that if he loses to Ike Quilp, he can blame it on the Tigers and then not have to live with the knowledge of defeat. But Encyclopedia Brown knows exactly who is behind it, and you noticed something that gave it away. So I turned to the two of you. Who's behind this, and how did Encyclopedia Brown know? (sighs)
0: Would it be helpful if we recapped it, Alyssa, like you and me, and tried to figure out, like, just to restate what happened? Ooh, (laughs) Ooh, okay. So, um, frickin'... Then
2: we've got John Ike... And Fremont. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Although Ike had a little buddy, right? Rowdy?
2: Rowdy's older brother. Oh, Rowdy's Ike's older brother? Yeah.
0: Oh.
1: Yes. Rowdy is Ike's older brother, and Rowdy is a member of the Tigers. So that's why John is suspicious that the Tigers are trying to mess with the match, is that the Tigers want Rowdy's little brother to win. What are the stakes in this? It's the semi-final of the country club
0: championship. How old is Rowdy? Is he like 42? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think he's 13. Most of the Tigers are two years older. They're all in seventh grade, so they're 13-year-olds, whereas Encyclopedia Brown is 10, Sally's 11, they're in fifth grade.
0: Okay, so to recap, Stanley says, you gotta monitor this match, there's gonna be some shenanigans. Brown and Sally are like, tight, we're gonna do it. <laughs> they show up, and then when does the racket go missing? So... There is a table outside of the
1: pro shop where he checks in. He puts his stuff down next to the table and then gets in line to check in for the registration for the tournament. So while he's in line, he has put his stuff near the judge's table. Encyclopedia Brown and Sally left to go look and see if anything else suspicious was happening around the tennis courts. And it happened during this time. Wow. So it's quick. It was super quick.
0: Okay. So... It goes missing, and then that's when Sally and Brown go to the pro shop?
1: Yeah, it goes missing. They have the conversation with Fremont. While they're talking with Fremont, John runs up to them saying his stuff was stolen, and then all of them go into the pro shop. They find the racket. And then they maybe find the balls, but they find two good balls and one old ball.
0: Okay, and what's Fremont's connection to all this? Is he just a fan? Is he a friend? Fremont says that he is being recruited to join the Tigers. Okay. That's why
1: he's at the tournament.
2: And Bugs Meanie was also there with Fremont, right?
1: Yes. Now... Sally's initial thought of that it could be Fremont is because in order to get into the Tigers, the initiation is that you have to steal something, I guess, or do something mischievous. So Sally's reasoning for it maybe being Fremont is that this is his initiation to steal the stuff from John.
2: But he's currently under the impression that it's a quote unquote service club. Right.
1: That's what he has told them. He very well could be lying. We don't know for sure that Fremont is a trustworthy narrator.
0: This could be a Kaiser Soze situation. (laughs) This could be Edward Norton at the end of Primal Fear situation. This could be he's playing them. (laughs) The only other piece of information we have is that
1: Fremont says he knows nothing about tennis.
0: Huh. If Fremont says he knows nothing about tennis, does that mean he would not be able to correctly identify tennis balls. If he can't tell a racket from a rolling pin, (laughs) does that mean he can't tell a tennis ball from a golf ball from a baseball? (laughs) So if he's holding it up, I'm going to say it's Fremont. Okay. I don't think it is.
1: Why? Ooh. All right. Different answers.
2: Because we know the person who stole the tennis racket would have had to know the difference between the two. So either he's really lying about not knowing tennis or he wouldn't have chosen the correct one or it was lucky, I guess.
0: Yeah,
1: he could be lying about that
0: too. That's why I think. I think he is lying about not knowing about tennis. That's why I think he got the tennis balls.
2: Hmm. I don't know if I got the order of events mixed up, but I feel like if he was with Bugs Meanie and they were busy at the time that. The tennis racket was stolen. I feel like it might have been one of the brothers, either Rowdy or Ike. Oh, okay. I don't have a motivation, but I feel like, again, in my soul, in my spirit, I just feel like <laughs>
0: by the spirit, please,
2: <laughs> that those are the two um, that could have done something. Because maybe they were stealing it to restring it so that it would look like somebody else's racket or something.
1: Okay. All right. Good theories. But I got to say, I'm giving it to Kevin. You are correct. The giveaway is that he held up three tennis balls and said, here they are. But Encyclopedia Brown never told him that it was three. So if he knows nothing about tennis, how would he know that three tennis balls come in a can? He either would have asked or would have held up the wrong number of balls. So the fact that he had three in his hand meant that he did know something about tennis. So he was lying. So yeah, that's how he was behind it. I should do that more. I should just
0: say, I don't know about stuff.
2: (laughs) I just like to believe that he was trustworthy. Maybe that's my fault as a a reader and as a listener. Maybe I should just be more skeptical of people. Alyssa's
0: (laughs) crime is trust and optimism. Okay. So now as
1: we get into the final mystery, the score is seven to six in favor of Alyssa. So we've got a barn burner on our hands. As we get into the final mystery, the case of the thermos bottle.
0: What? (laughs) Okay. Hold on to your buttholes. It's going to be wild. Here we go.
1: (laughs) So Encyclopedia Brown and Sally head to the Parent Teacher Association Carnival at their school on Saturday. This is something that... Our school, St. Gregory the Great, did, so I feel a kinship to this. They're doing this carnival as a fundraiser to get new air conditioning in the school cafeteria.
0: Yeah! Oh, those poor children. I know! <laughs> They're just
1: sweating their little butts off. In Florida! Florida without an air conditioner? I can't imagine. Yeah, that is abuse, unfortunately. So they see a large crowd of people at, and I kid you not, the Chicken Flying Contest, Yeah. which is a contest where you can see how far a chicken can fly. They run into their friend, Benny, Benny has a chicken entered into the contest, but Encyclopedia Brown and Sally ask Benny, what happened to the worm race? And he says that this year, the worm race got canceled because too many kids stepped on opponent's worms last year. Oh, I mean, fair. I would have done that. That's pretty grisly. (laughs) Encyclopedia Brown then remembers, oh, right. Bugs Meanie stepped on five competitors' worms last year. He was mad because he had painted a caterpillar to look like a worm, but then on the day of the race, it started started to cocoon so he couldn't (laughs) enter it in the race.
0: Wow, this is sad. (laughs) This is tragic.
1: I mean, look, if you're going to try to screw over such a well-respected institution like Florida Worm Sports you can't mess with it. And the gods of worm racing just smited him by making his caterpillars start to turn into a
0: butterfly. Thank you for saying that. This
2: is divine retribution. Yeah.
0: It is a sacred institution. And yes, there are consequences. <laughs> so Benny has a hen named uh, Ezekiel, no, named
1: Queen Cluck. And Queen Cluck has made her way into the finals of the chicken flying contest. Encyclopedia Brown asks if Bugs Meanie has a chicken in the contest and Sally says if he did it would probably be a baby eagle with the claws trimmed. Wow okay (laughs) Sally chill.
2: Sick burn.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So then who of course enters? Bugs Meanie. He strolls in and he's got a thermos in hand the titular thermos and he's rolling in with a bunch of members from the Tigers. Benny says that Bugs is trying to make good for being such a poor sport in the previous year so what Bugs Meany has done is he got the local sports store to donate a baseball glove, and they're going to do a raffle with ping pong balls to give away a baseball glove to one lucky person at the carnival. Okay. So... Benny, unfortunately, loses the chicken flight finals. Queen Cluck does not reign supreme, so he's really trying to win the baseball gloves so that this trip to the carnival isn't a complete loss. Now, Benny goes over to where you register a ping pong ball for the raffle, and he gets the last ping pong ball, number 114. He takes the ping pong ball, he walks over, and the way it's set up is there's this large, clear plastic rectangular container that has all of the other ping pong balls inside of it and seated next to it is Bugs Meanie. He's sitting there. He has the baseball glove on a table. He's sipping a glass of root beer and he's got his thermos underneath the chair, which Encyclopedia Brown thinks is a bit weird. Like, why have you brought this thermos if it's just underneath your chair? Bugs? Then has a teacher blindfold a fellow tiger named Duke Kelly to sort through the ping pong balls. Sally is very upset with this. She says, quote, horse feathers! No one can trust Duke Kelly, which now that I've read 14 of these Encyclopedia Brown books, Duke Kelly is Bugs Meanie's right hand man, so you definitely cannot trust Duke Kelly.
0: He's the Dick Cheney, I understand.
1: Yes. Mm, Yes, yes, yes. He's got two first names, always untrustworthy. So Bugs points to Duke's short sleeves and says, Look, He's got nothing up his sleeves and the blindfolded Duke starts stirring all the balls in the basket for a full minute. Bugs explains that the reason he's doing this is so that they didn't just put some ball on top of the pile that they would pick and give to their friend, etc. So this him stirring them all around is supposed to show that they are not cheating the system. So Duke stirs all the balls for a full minute, and he picks out a winning ball. It's number 81, and it belongs to another Tiger, Rick Larson. Mm. So because a Tiger's now getting this free baseball glove, Sally feels like this is complete BS. But Encyclopedia Brown says he knows that it's BS, and he has proof. So I turn to the two of you. What is up, and what gave it away for Encyclopedia Brown to know that the Tigers rigged this ping pong ball raffle.
2: I mean, did he just fill his thermos full of ping pong balls?
1: Uh, Maybe. I'm not going to give it away. But I will say we never we never see what happens with the thermos. It's just pegged by Encyclopedia Brown as something suspicious.
0: That seems the most obvious one to me as well, unfortunately, to put multiple in there or to put like a Sharpie in that you could write whatever you want on the ball. The only thing I'll say is that they've got the
1: ping pong balls in the basket. They see the whole process of Benny getting the ball, writing the number on it, putting it in the basket. So the kids who get the balls write their own number on the balls and then put them into the basket.
0: Okay. Huh.
2: I don't know, could they have just put in extra ones with their numbers written on them?
0: The thermos has to come into play. It's the titular character. <laughs> That's like if you got into Titanic and they weren't on a boat yet. Come on, we, like, the, the thermos is it's the fulcrum of this story. <laughs> so there are some shenanigans going on with the thermos, clearly. But what kind of shenanigans? They get the number, they write it on the ball, and then... Bugs Bunny, what's his name? What's the main? <laughs> Bugs Meaning. Bugs Meaning. And then Doug Stanley, what's the guy? Duke, the Duke <laughs> Kelly. Duke Kelly.
1: Duke Kelly is blindfolded. A teacher blindfolds him. He moves his hands around the big, clear bucket of balls for a full minute and then finally picks one up. And it's number 81 and it belongs to another Tiger. So he wins the baseball mitt.
0: But it's okay. So it's not, it's not Bugs's then. It's another, it's another Tiger's. Well, what would that be then? I I'm, don't know. I'm open for a collab on this one, Alyssa. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like, is the root beer
2: significant somehow? Like, did they mark the balls so that even if you were blindfolded, you could feel like a dent in it or it was sticky or something?
1: Oh. I don't know. The bigger question is, why does he have this thermos here? If he's got something else to drink, what is the point of the thermos? Because you would think that if he wanted a cold glass of root beer to stay cold or whatever, he would have just brought it in his thermos, and then drunk it out of his thermos. So Encyclopedia Brown thinks, if you're drinking root beer, what the hell is this thermos here for? And then he realizes what the hell the thermos is there for, and that's what gives it away.
0: And we don't see bugs take anything out of the thermos.
1: We never see it because when they finally get to the situation, it's already underway. Like, Benny was the last person to put a ball in the pile, so the balls are already there.
0: Okay. Okay. Grocious. I don't know. I'm gonna. I'm. I guess I'll go with my first instinct. I'm learning how much I'm not the person that like tries to solve the mystery while I'm watching the TV show or the movie <laughs> right now because I can't at all. So I guess I'll say there were extra balls in the thermos and that's how he cheated. I, I don't know what you'd say, Alyssa.
2: I could go with the other option where they took some out.
0: Ooh, both ends of the spectrum.
2: <laughs> I think we got our bases covered.
0: Well, I'm
1: happy to say you have. Two bases covered, but it was the third base. You're both wrong. Uh, What it is, is a thermos keeps things either hot or cold. So what he's done is they had a ping pong ball that they put in a freezer or a fridge or something to keep a ball cold. They kept it in the thermos so that one ping pong ball was cold. They put that in the pile. The reason he does it for a full minute is so that specifically he can
0: find the cold ping pong ball. And that is the one. We almost got there. We almost got there. Alyssa said it could be sticky.
2: Yeah, I wasn't totally wrong. I did say that they would mark it.
0: Yeah. You got the sticky, the denting. You were really,
1: really close with it. But that's what it was. If anyone uh, is a basketball fan, there's a long-running conspiracy theory that my beloved New York Knicks in the 1985 draft were benefited by this because the way they used to do it was they had a big spinny thing with envelopes in it. And the rumor is that the Knicks envelope was put into the freezer because when the guy takes the envelope out, he kind of moves them all around incredibly suspiciously and then (laughs) grabs the one that happens to be the Knicks. And then they got the draft, which I love. I benefited it from it, so it's okay.
0: Wait, are pro sports corrupt? <laughs> oh, quite. oh, quite. Quite, 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 okay, quite, now, quite, quite. Okay, now I'm not even going to bother with it. I was thinking about getting into it during the quarantine, <laughs> but now I'm not even going to deal with it.
1: <laughs> this was pro sports in the 80s. It's a bit better now, but yeah, back then, oh, for sure.
0: Hmm. All right.
1: <laughs> but that was a heated battle Alyssa you end up winning this episode 7 to 6 meaning you've earned some money for One Love Foundation how does it feel to reign victorious
2: I'm glad that I settled for like just going for it we did well <laughs> <laughs> we just did okay
1: <laughs> you guys held your own it was great Kevin you fought quite valiantly it was a close one it came down neck and neck and uh, I still like the, the collaborative efforts throughout when you guys were stumped I like that you tried to work together when you didn't have it it was fun hey we want to be
0: wholesome
2: yeah we left Room for the Holy Spirit between us.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, this just felt like a nice fellowship night for me, and I feel blessed to be here. I feel honored in the presence of my brother and sister. So, glory to him.
1: I feel like I need to do a remix of the theme music, where it's just guy with capoed guitar strumming as he's telling people where to sit to really play us out.
0: Hey, <laughs> if you, if everyone, could just stand and then yeah, make your way out to the left. There's an exit over there. Yeah. Peace be with you. Peace be with you.
1: So before we announce the 12 upcoming dates for our upcoming retreats for the Brothers Retreat and the Sisters Mm -hmm. Retreat, et cetera, uh, Kevin, if people want to find you doing stuff on the internet, podcast-wise, et cetera, where can they do so?
0: People can follow me at Justin Bieber everywhere. (laughs) That's uh, That's my official account. My Finsta is at Kevin T. Porter. You can follow me everywhere with that name, and you can listen to good Christian fun wherever you get your podcasts. Great. What about you, Alyssa?
2: Yeah, so I host and produce Breakfast in Beauclair, which is a podcast about the witcher so if you're into potterless and would love similar discussions for the witcher universe and the netflix adaptation come find us at breakfast or bit.ly slash witcher podcast and i'm there too
1: ah nailed it very very nice
2: magic (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) well kevin and Alyssa, thank you so much for joining listeners thanks for listening and the two of you held your own you were quite competent uh when you went toe-to-toe with encyclopedia brown competent is generous for me yes (laughs) (laughs) but you know i had just a great wonderful time with you two some lovely medley adults Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. Our editor is Brandon Grugel. The art is by Maayan Atias and Kelly Schubert. The music is by Bettina Kampamanez and Brandon Grugel. And the web design is by me and Kelly Schubert. If you want to support the show and help us raise money for charity, you can do so in a couple of ways. First of which, you can go to patreon.com meddlingadults. That will get you early access to the episodes and some bonus audio from time to time as well. And we'll put your name on the website as a thank you. If you don't want to give on a monthly basis and you just want to give a one-time donation, you can go to paypal.me slash adults. And if you still want to support the show, but not in a monetary way, you can do so by just telling someone about the podcast. If you think of someone that would like the show, let them know. Tell them you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you want to leave a rating and review online, either post about it on social media or give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Anything like that will help the show grow, and I will be very appreciative of you for doing so. Thanks to Multitude for having us as a part of the network, and Multitude and I and everyone else in your life should be very much recommending you to vote. If you live in the United States please vote. This election is incredibly important. You should vote no matter where you live. But if you're in the U.S. and you're listening to this before November 3rd, 2020, please get out there and vote. It might be too late to register at this point, so I hope you're already registered. But you can go to vote.gov to figure out where you should go to vote, where you can drop off a ballot if you have an absentee ballot. You can also mail in your absentee ballot. If you have your absentee ballot, fill it out as soon as you can so they can process it. If you're able to do early voting anywhere, do early voting. That also works out better in a shorter lines and it lets your vote get processed. Look up everything you need to at vote.gov and please, 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 please vote. If you want to follow the show on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at meddlingadults, as well as reddit.com slash r slash meddlingadults. And finally, our website is meddlingadults.com where you can learn more about the show and the charities that we're supporting. Thanks again so much for listening. We hope to see you next week for our next episode of Meddling Adults.